0: Good morning, Denia Church family, and welcome to the Lord's house on this Lord's Day. Can I just start by saying how great our God is, amen, Amen. and how actively at work He is to help us and to be with us. Well, last week we looked and we started a little mini-series looking at all the things God does to help us. And this doesn't necessarily mean that every single one of these is how He's helped you at this point in your life, but these are just ways in which God has helped His people in ways in which we've seen His hand at work. And so He is very alive and active today, just as He was as we're reading in the text 2,000 years ago and even beyond. And so last week we looked at eight specific ways in which God helps us and once we believe in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this morning we're going to continue by looking at just a few more. And so we're going to highlight a few more, and again, that are meant to encourage us on how active God is in our lives and in the lives of His people The first few are going to be in the book of Acts. We've been in the book of Acts, but I also want to just uh, highlight a few others outside the book of Acts, and we're going to look in 2 Corinthians. So that's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to start off in the book of Acts, and then we're going to look at a couple more in the book of 2 Corinthians. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you again for another morning, another day we get to see the sun shining, another day that we get to have life and air in our lungs, that we got to wake up, and even though not everyone did today but we thank you and praise you for the life you've given us. And each and every day we have breath. May we seek to serve you, seek your will to be done. And so, Father, we keep praying to that end, that we might be faithful and that we might be found faithful and even hear those blessed words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so help us now as we serve and as we uh, look at ways in which we can reach out into this world, that you help us to do so. And so would you be with us now, illuminate your text, help us to uh, see things we hadn't seen maybe before, be open to things maybe we hadn't been open to before, and just to be able to leave here praising you for all that you do for us and all that you've done for others. And so, Father, we just pray that this morning you would be glorified. And so we lift this up in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we left off in chapter 16 of the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and find your way there. We'll be in chapter 16, and we're going to pick up in verses 9 and 10. Book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 9 and 10. And the text says this, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, Immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. And so, here's yet another thing that God can do for some people. He can give them a vision. And so, we see right here, specifically, it was to go and to proclaim the gospel. Now, I know this is going to be a very subjective category, talking about visions, And we need to be careful with a topic like this. But I also believe we ought to be open to this, of what God might do for someone or for us. And so let me be clear up front. Not every vision someone says that they've received, or not even, let's even throw dreams in there that people say they've had are from God. But that doesn't mean some are not. And actually, in this case, we should thank God for the vision he gave Paul, Because this text is one of the great turning points of history. If you really continue to read, not just the book of Acts and the story and even history. that look at the text once again. There was a cry for help in this vision from Macedonia. And so they immediately left and went to Europe. And as a result, the gospel eventually spreads to the west. But this wasn't the last time God ever gave someone a vision that was a turning point in history. There's actually a number of examples throughout history. Fast forward a few hundred years. All historians agree that what happened in 312 A.D. with the conversion of Constantine changed world history. But what historians are kind of still baffled about and don't know really what to do with is what do we make of the vision he received? That on the night before the battle of Milvian Bridge, Constantine receives a vision, and the vision says, by this sign you will conquer. And the sign that he received was of the name of Christ, the word Christ, Messiah. And so the first two letters of Christ in Greek is a chi in a row. And he puts that on the shields of all his army and they win. And so God gave a vision to him in order to do and accomplish something through him. But that's not the only time God has given visions to people in order to draw them to himself. I remember I was in seminary taking a class in missions and the professor there asked all of us and said, let me ask you a question. When we hear the testimonies of Muslims over in the Middle East, what do you think is the number one reason they give in order for why they converted to Christianity? And so as you can imagine, in a seminary class, there was a lot of answers given. Some of the ones that I remember, somebody says, well, somebody gave them a Bible. Well, those are certainly good testimonies and that happens, but that's not the number one reason that's given. Again, according to those given their own testimony after they converted. Another seminary student, well, they finally met a missionary, met a Christian apologist who was able to give them the answers that they were looking for, able to share the gospel with them in person. Again, that's a great answer, and that's in a number of cases, but that's still not the number one reason given. Other people will say, well, they finally got to were shown how the Quran's uh, reception, it was corrupt, how it, how it came together. He says, well, again, although that's historically accurate, and I'm sure that might be somebody's testimony, it's still not the number one reason. And so as this class is trying to figure this out, he winds up showing and laying out the evidence and research and showing some of the testimonies. And the number one reason given for those in the Middle East is visions and dreams. Visions and dreams is why they came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, again, we need to be careful. We need to even be cautious when discussing things like this. But at the same time, we need to be careful not to put God in a box as if He can't still do something today. As if He doesn't still use certain things that we're even reading here in this text. You know, I'll admit, early on as a believer, I would read these passages in the New Testament, and I would hear the stories, I'd read, uh, read uh, certain other stories in, in church history, but I still was a pretty leery about it. Even overly skeptical that God could still do that. Well, just two years ago, Let me give you an example of someone who received a vision that I was involved with. I was preaching to a congregation much like this, and uh, the, the topic was on reconciliation. And so as I'm preaching this topic, at one point during the sermon, I just said, you know, maybe there's somebody you need to reach out to. Maybe there's somebody you need to email, somebody you need to write a letter to. And then I turn over here and I say, or somebody you need to call. And all of a sudden, I see this guy with eyes wide open. And, of course, I continued preaching, but so he's, he's doing something, and he's doing this. Well, anyways, I just, again, things happen in prison you don't always can explain, and so that was my congregation at that time. And so I just moved on, I finished preaching, and I went home went to bed. Well, the next day I go to work, and this guy is sitting out front of my office door, and he says, chaplain, chaplain, come here, come here. So I was like, what, what what's going on? He goes, you'll never believe what happened. He goes, last night when you were preaching and you said there might be somebody you need to call. He goes, God gave me a vision that all of a sudden right there behind you was a number. I've never seen this number before. And he says, look. And he had the name written on his palm. And he, sh- and he shows me. Look at this. This number was there and I had a vision. I wrote it down. You've got to go listen to the phone call. You won't believe it goes, go listen to the phone call, because he knows that we can listen to any phone calls that they, they give, right? Go listen to the phone call. Please, just do that today. He says that that number was of my sister. I've lost contact for it in over a decade. And so what do you think I did? I went and listened to that phone call, didn't I? And so I go and listen to the phone call, and you should have heard his sister on the other end of the phone they couldn't believe, how in the world did you find my number and find and get in touch with me? And there was reconciliation that God brought. Again, right there in my midst, God gives this guy a vision to reconcile with his sister, a number he has never seen. He wrote it down. He called it. And he gets in touch with his sister. And again, and to hear him on the phone saying, you'll never believe, how in the world did you get my number? He's like, you won't believe it. I was at church last night, right? I'm at church last night, and God gave me a vision. And it was this number, and it was... And and again, and do you think he had an opportunity to share with her? What do you think that did to his faith? What do you think it did to the faith of the community? What do you think it did to my faith, right? That God still is alive and active in people's lives, and He can still do miraculous things. So, let's look at another thing God can do for us. Verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said, or what was said by Paul. And so, another thing I want us to know today is that God opens hearts, doesn't He? To, to do what? To pay attention. The word here is prosecco. And prosecco means this to be in a state of alert to be concerned about, to care for, to notice, to follow. Some translations even use the word to respond. God puts in your heart the ability to pay attention to what is being said in order to follow, to respond, to do something. And as far as salvation goes, if that wasn't true, that God opens our hearts, none of us would be saved. Isn't that true? None of us would be saved. Because God's in the business of open hearts. That's why Paul can say, no one understands, no, not one. Paul can say to the letter in the Ephesians, we are dead in our trespasses. So if you're a believer today, you have God alone to thank for opening up your heart to respond. And he still does that today. You know, uh, when you and I became a Christian, uh, you might even remember back, I-, I was visiting with a couple a couple weeks ago. Uh, they were looking at doing, becoming a member here, and so we just wanted to hear their testimony. In the husband's testimony, he said, you know, I had attended church. I went to church growing up, but it was at this point that it clicked. At this point, all of a sudden, I understood what was going on. Y'all have heard testimonies like that too? Of just, it was at this moment as if something supernatural happened, allowed me to understand what was going on, that it connected at this point. And we've all seen a number of scenarios like that where God does that. Just like the, the men on the road of Emmaus, that Jesus is walking right there with them and they were prevented from recognizing him until God chose right at the moment to open up their hearts, the eyes of their heart to respond to him. I remember uh, we got a new chief chaplain over the Federal Bureau of Prisons named Michael R. Smith. And when he was the chaplain, or became the chief chaplain, he was speaking to all the, all the chaplains, and uh, he shared a story that when he was working in Terrell Hutt, Indiana, which is where the only federal death row facility is, he says, I work there. And there was a time I was walking down the corridor. I was the chaplain walking the inmate down to be put to death. And he says, you know what the question he asked me was? He was a born again believer, been doing ministry, getting discipled and everything else, but he knew his time was coming. The question he asked me while we are walking down that corridor, Terrell Hut, Indiana on death row was, why do you think God waited so long to reveal himself to me? Now he used that question in order to tell us you're going to be asked hard questions as a chaplain in some very unique situations. And granted, that was, that's certainly true. But as I reflected on that story, have you ever put yourself in a scenario and you're like, what would I have said? What would have been my response? Is there something I could have done to encourage him? Uh, I thought probably most simply I could say, I don't know, but aren't you glad he still did? (laughs) Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Aren't you still glad he did? To encourage him that God still allowed you to pay attention, to open your heart to respond to him. But I also think and believe that the application is broader than just at salvation. We know it's at salvation that God does a work. But I also think, have, have you ever been reading Scripture and you're like, I think I've read this a hundred times and, and I, this never stuck out to me. Has that ever happened to you? Or boy, I've been, I've been, I've been going through this study for a while and yet now I understand X, Y, Z. That I think it's not just at salvation that we need to rely on God and pray that He grants us the wisdom, but it's all the time. That this should make us more prayerful, more humble, more reliant on God because He's the one that gets us to pay attention. He's the one that allows us to to understand the spiritual nuggets that we need or to speak to us directly in certain occasions. And so I I even think, not just in, in His Word, but in other scenarios, there can be conversations that, wow, that conversation really hit. Or there can be times where you've read a book in a different season of life. Uh, I'll give an example, you know, a couple decades ago I might have read uh, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity in my 20s. I've noticed some other things now in my 40s, right? So you read the same thing. It's almost like God waited for a certain time to allow, to reveal certain things to me that I needed in that moment or in that time. And so all the more should we see God's hand in our life allowing us to understand things, opening our hearts to pay attention We'll fast forward and keep going to chapter 21, and I really love this. This is one of the key verses on why I even considered doing this series. Chapter 21, I'm going to pick up in verses 17 through 20. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. Now when I say that's one of the key verses on why I even thought, man, this this could be a good series. Let's just focus on what God does. Let's focus on all the things that he does to draw people to himself, all the ways in which he helps us. We see right here that God leaves us with testimonies, doesn't he? That in one sense, what do they do? To show the power of God, to show His grace in the lives, let's tell it one by one the things God has done. Do you all like to hear of all the things God has done? Sometimes it's to hear how He moved in somebody else's life, and that encourages us. Sometimes we're able to stand in the congregation and share a testimony, and that encourages someone else. You know what? I thought I was the only one, and yet you're not, right? man, I'm not alone in this. Others have experienced this. Others have come to a difficult place. Others have gone through different afflictions. And so one by one, they related all the things God has done. It should encourage us, just like it did them in the early church 2,000 years ago, when we hear of churches getting planted, when we hear of lives being saved, when we hear gifts being given, grace being manifested, spirit being poured out, prayers being answered. I mean, as you're walking through the book of Acts, you're like, wow! And it's the same today. I mean, how encouraged were y'all just a few weeks ago to see the baptisms here? One by one, we get to see God's hand in the ministry through this church. And we get to praise God. We get to see lives transformed and changed. We get to see people walking in obedience. We get to hear all these testimonies. And what does the text say that they did? And they glorified God. Which is exactly what I hope and pray we do in this series. That we just keep pausing and thanking and glorifying God for the many ways in which He's worked and moved, even in our midst, even to this day. That He's done some amazing things in our midst and we get to retell them. We'll go on to our last one in the book of Acts, chapter 27. We'll go all the way back toward the end to chapter 27. Starting in verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. That'd be a good men's conference message right there, wouldn't it? Man, or really for any of us. How many times has somebody told you that right there? A trusted brother or sister in Christ said to you, you should have listened to me. Parents, you got a verse right there to your kids. You should have listened to me. All right. So we've all probably come to that place, and not from a holier-than-thou perspective, not from an arrogant standpoint of them saying, ha-ha, I I told you so. But there's probably been scenarios and cases in our life where somebody's told us what to do and we didn't do it. Is that true? And what does it say that they incurred when they didn't heed the wise counsel of a fellow brother? It says they incurred injury and loss. Is that true? That sometimes we don't heed that wise counsel? We go somewhere that we were told not to go. And what happened? Injury and loss. Could any of you share a few stories? (laughs) Of boy, I wish I could have gone back and listened to that advice. Boy, I wish I would have listened to her. I would have listened to him. And yet what happened? Injury and loss. But Paul quickly moves on. So, so will I. What's done is done, right? And so he says, yet now I urge you to take heart. "...for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God, and it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island." Now, there are a number of things we can get out of this passage. I mean, this could be a separate message in and of itself. There's a number of things that we could draw from, but I want to just highlight one of them that I think is here, and I think it's important for, again, another way in which God protects us from injury and loss, and even loss of life in context, is when we ride with the right people and we heed their godly counsel. As the text says, Paul believed in God. And what did he do? Encourage them to do the same. Look again. Take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've told you. So Paul knew that God was his anchor in this storm. He knew God was going to do what God wanted to do and to save them. But he also wanted them to believe it. He also wanted them to live in that way by faith that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And not just... To believe it intellectually but what to sail with him to ride with him to be there with him you know my first year seminary I was living in the guest room of a buddy of mine he and his wife uh, had a few extra rooms in their house allowed me to stay there well in the middle of the semester my Greek professor pulls me into his office he says Brian he goes where you live in these days so I told him oh with a buddy of mine that goes to my church he says really he says and you think that's a good idea and I said, well, I haven't really given it much thought, right? And he says, and he goes on to basically tell me and encourage me to move out. He says, I've seen what seminary can do, the strains it can be on a young marriage, and that's probably not a wise thing to do, is to stay there. Now, at the time, I thought, man, that's pretty inconvenient for me. <laughs> I'm in the middle of the semester. I, it's going to cost me more money. I don't know where I'm going to find the time to move. But yet I have a brother in Christ pulling me aside to say, is this wise situation for you to be in? To live in the house of a young married couple going through seminary. He's got a full-time job. He's got this. And so he just says, is that a wise thing to do? And I would encourage you to not stay. And so I sat there and I thought, again, of all the inconveniences, of all the things, man, the, the, the waters aren't, aren't choppy right now. Everything's good. He's a buddy of mine. We go to the same church. It just, it didn't make sense, but within about 24 hours of just praying and reflecting on it, the Holy Spirit said, yeah, this is wise counsel, and you need to go. And I use that as an example of saying, against all my personal comforts, against all my preferences, I did exactly what we see in this verse. I took to heart, I had faith in God, and I trusted the counsel of someone else that I didn't see the wisdom of what, we sh- what I should do. And yet, I can say, looking back, no one suffered injury and loss because I heeded the advice. And who knows? Here's somebody who had decades beyond me seen so many seminary families and students and everything else, and things happen, and he gave advice. Well, they don't always happen that way, do they? Sometimes we don't take that advice. Or we have two roads, a fork in a road. We could go this way or we could go that way. I'll give an example of my wife's life. Around the time that she was um, finishing up college, she lost someone very dear to her. And the response, as that person died in her life from a good portion of her friends in college, were to try to distract her from it. So they'd invite her, they'd give her, you know, take her to the parties, want to go to the movies, give her food, give her drugs, give her alcohol, do whatever it was to get her to to, to distract her away from the problem that was at hand. So again, here, come here, this will get your mind off of it. Here, come here, sail with us. But there was one girl in her college that was a believer and responded differently than everyone else. This girl invited her to church. Come sail with me, and God will prove faithful through this. God will take you through it. And so here she was, presented with with a path. I can go down and sail with these people. Or I can go sail with this girl. This one was the wise counsel, wasn't it? Come with me to church and watch God. He can do some things. He can turn this around. He can be there for you. Her brother wound up giving her scripture verses. And that's part of my wife's testimony of coming to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Was this fork she came into the road? Or she could keep going with this crowd, just trying to distract her from the problems and get her mind off of what happened. Have we, all, have we been there before? <laughs> We've, we, we've gotten two invitations. We've got two places we can go. We can heed wise advice or we cannot. And it's the same thing in their situation. They didn't heed Paul's advice and they incurred injury and loss. And so, boy, they get another chance. But now I urge you, trust me, here's what God's going to do and God's going to save us. Let me, let me show you and prove God is going to be true in this situation. We'll turn now to the book of 2 Corinthians. I want to see if there's something else you may have never considered or noticed that God does. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're just going to look at verse 16. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 16. It says this, "...but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have." For you now isn't that something the very thing the text says one of the ways in which God helps us is he put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you now again there's many things we could take from this verse and the surrounding context but if you ever pause to think of phrases like that that God may put an earnest care into your heart for someone or something Even in context, it's a very interesting verse, because for Titus, it had not always been that way, had it? Titus was uneasy about Paul giving him the task of delivering a severe letter to the Corinthian church. But God made his heart have a care that it didn't have before. And so if I were to ask you, has that ever happened in your life? So for me, I can say one of the first times it, it occurred that I realized was even when I became a Christian. Whereas before, I didn't care to go to church, didn't care to read my Bible, didn't care to uh, hang around a certain, with, these, with these people, all of a sudden I had an earnest care to do so. Whereas some people don't have a care to go serve and help others, give up a Saturday, go you know, do a, 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 you know, feed the homeless, go serve and, uh, the widow and the poor. Now all of a sudden you have this earnest care. And have you ever thought, here is another way in which God is active in our life and giving us the cares of our heart. Like He did for Titus right here. Because all of a sudden, now you're giving your time, you're giving your money, you're giving your resources, you're doing all this, and you didn't have that earnest care before. Or maybe for some of you, you know that God has kind of prompted your spirit to maybe start a small group, start a ministry, go on a mission trip, go to someone... Go, uh, he's given you a desire for something, man, I'm really passionate about this. And to think, has God given me that earnest care that really wasn't there before? And so you see right here in the text, that happened to him. God gave Titus an earnest care that wasn't there before. And I think, again, what if we were to even reflect, what might God be putting in your heart today? What earnest care has he given you to go all in for is there something He's been prompting you? And now how do you respond to that? What do you do with that? And hopefully you obey that calling. You, 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 you go with that prompting that He's given you in order to serve others, in order to bless those He's put around you, just like He did through Titus. But there was a point. Titus didn't want to do something, but God gave him that earnest care. And I think, again, as we're trying to think of ways in which God is actively speaking to us, actively moving us, actively prompting us, this can be one of the ways in which He does so. He gives you an earnest care that wasn't there before. Fast forward to chapter 12. We're going to look at one more before we have time of communion. In chapter 12, verse 7, look at something else God can do and allow. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So it's true, isn't it? God can allow certain thorns in our life to help us. Here it was to help Paul from becoming conceited. And when you really think about it, why why, why should that be encouraging that God does that? You might think, man, a thorn doesn't sound too good. Well, if you know what the Bible says, what God says about pride in the Bible, you'd say, wow, that's pretty good for Paul, isn't it? For example, listen to just a couple passages. Proverbs 8.13, pride and arrogance I hate. Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 16.18, pride goes before destruction. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So shouldn't Paul be happy that God in his grace is actively evolved in his life to help his children stay humble so that they will what? Experience his blessings. So that they will get more of his grace. Now, that's not often how we view the thorn, is it? In fact, what does Paul do three times? Praise take this thing away. Take this thing away. Now, we don't know exactly what the thorn was. Some people think it was, had to do with his health. Some people think it had to do with the opposition he was facing. So, and there's a number of other reasons that are given for what this thorn is. But at best, they're all speculation because the text doesn't tell us exactly what it is. But let me tell you why I think that's encouraging. I think it's encouraging that the text doesn't say and why I think it's left vague. Because I believe... If the thorn was specifically spoken of, here's what it is, then the application would be very narrow. But by, saying, by not telling us what it is, the application can be very broad, covering any affliction that God may ordain for his children, right? So now you could have a thorn different than the one Paul had, but God still allowed something in your life. If it said it was health, then you'd say, well, I'm healthy, so God must not be doing X, Y, Z in my life. But you can't get around that because you don't know what that thorn was. And what we do know is that the thorn was Satan's work, but God allowed it. He allowed that happen. And Paul needed to see it with divine wisdom. Sometimes we don't see the thorn in our life that way. We don't see what God could be doing. That without the thorn, he would become conceited, and God knew that's not a good place for Paul to be. He might know, without this in your life, you would not be in a good place. You'd actually be in a worse place than you think you are, right? Does God have infinite wisdom to know where we would be were it not for whatever it is in our life that he might have allowed or put there? And again, he pleaded not just once, but three times for God to remove it. And what did God say? No. He passionately prayed for God to remove this thorn, and God said no. Has anybody ever come to you and said, it's not God's will that you suffer for X, Y, Z? Or you know what? You just need to get whatever it is out of your life. But that that thing, maybe it's, don't be around this person. Don't go to this church. Don't go to this or whatever it is. And yet God could be using those very people, those very things, that very church in order to sharpen you, in order to keep you where you need to be spiritually. You just need to claim victory in Jesus over Satan and you'll get rid of this. But what if God says no? No. That needs to be in your theology. God can say no to taking something out of your life that you want out of your life. And you know what? We don't just have Paul as an example. We have Jesus in the garden praying three times to let this cup of wrath pass. But what was God's answer? No. Aren't you glad He said no to Jesus' prayer? Aren't you glad he wound up drinking the cup of his wrath on our behalf for us so that we wouldn't have to? And yet, let me say one more thing about this passage. If you look at the next verse, verse 9, one reason I believe that you have verse 9, given what God just said with a no, is that here's some of the most comforting words ever recorded. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So God is still sufficient. God is still there with Paul, and He's doing it for Paul's good. He's doing it to help him to know otherwise you're not going to be in a good place. And sometimes we miss that. Sometimes we, we, we don't understand and we don't see And you know what mattered most to Jesus, even though he prayed that it would pass. I mean, it, it's not comfortable. That thorn wasn't comfortable to Paul. Jesus didn't want thorns stuck in his head. He did not want to go through the agonizing pain. But the most important thing was thy will be done, not mine. He wants God's will to be done. That's what he desired. And so perhaps there's things that God's allowing in your life right now, for a reason. And again, it's always hindsight 2020, looking back of how He might be helping you by preventing X, Y, Z in your life, by putting whatever it is in your life in order to help you grow. I remember a Pastor one time uh, sharing an example of somebody had gotten cancer. And part of his advice to this specific person, this isn't a, hey, I'd say this to everybody, but with his relationship with this person that got cancer, he says, I can't wait to see you on the other side of this. I can't wait to see how God's going to help you grow through this. I can't wait to see how how God's going to carry you through this and the testimonies we're going to see of his grace and love and mercy. That sometimes we need the right perspective going through difficult times and difficult things. Can't wait to see you on the other side of this. And not the other side, meaning heaven, but the other side of this cancer, that, you know what, God's going to walk you through this. And He did. And on the other side, that person, that pastor, was able to talk about a number of things that God had done through that time, through that period of His life. And so here we are again, having just looked at just a few more things that God does for His people to help them grow. We've heard and seen what He can do. We've seen testimonies of what He's done through Christ to the believers to help His children, one by one we've seen testimonies of God's goodness, that He is alive and He is active in our lives. But here we are again on what are we going to do with it. Having heard that God is doing this, having heard that God stirs hearts, what's He stirring in yours? Having heard that God can move people, how's He moving you? Having heard what all God can do and has done, what can He do and has He done in your life? For us to pause and say, how are we going to live differently today when we walk out of here than when we came here? That's really the emphasis of this. I'm going to praise God and then I'm really going to start reflecting on what all God might be doing that I've been missing. Amen? Well, wow. We're about to usher into a time of communion speaking of what all God has done for us. <laughs> so let's pray to that end. God, we thank You that yet another thing You've done for us is sending Your one and only Son to die on our behalf. And so, Father, there was a time that was difficult news, that was confusing news, that was news that wasn't understood by even the, the disciples of what was going to take place. But, Father, through Your know, we saw Your hand work And work miraculously and so we thank you that there are times when you've had to say no but father it was to your glory and even now to our benefit and so we thank you for the no you gave and we thank you for sending your son that father life is hard there are afflictions there are shipwrecks there are injury there is injury there is loss there are things we go through in life that we didn't heed the right counsel But, Father, You are good. And even as Paul quickly turned to what to do now, but yet now, can we urge ourselves and urge each other to have faith in You, and, Father, and to walk in newness of life. And so, Father, we thank You for this time. We thank You for these texts and passages to really warm our hearts and encourage us today. And as we approach Your throne, through Christ, by means of the Holy Spirit. Father, would you hear us? And would you meet us where we are, wherever we are, as we enter into this time of communion? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.